I wonder if you can remember the last time you listened to the news and no one used the word Brexit. Seems like a long time ago. Well, the negotiations are in full swing, apparently, hopefully. But it's very clear that both sides are trying to present a position in which they're not really willing to budge very much. You move first. No, no, you move first. A scenario that I think all of us can understand only too well because you and I have often been there. You want something from me for nothing? Think again, pal. Grace, genuine grace, is in short supply in the world. But the Bible is full of it. Uh, The word grace, if my arithmetic is correct, can be found in the Bible 134 times, including 18 in the Old Testament, a considerable percentage of which are in Exodus chapter 33. The Old Testament isn't just about law, you know. It's about God's grace too. Now, as we've seen in our series on these basics of the gospel, God's grace is a hugely significant attribute. That God has grace in such infinite measure is, on its own, a massive statement about the nature and the character of God. There are many things which collectively make up the gospel, as we've seen. But I guess in some ways, it's God's grace. It's the fact that he was prepared to take the initiative himself in order to deal with my sin, your sin, not, not asking anything of us in return other than that we believe and accept it. Perhaps it's for this reason that God's grace is so vast and infinite and yet we find it so difficult that this is one of the truths which really grabs us and really does impact us very deeply. We can understand, can't we, Doing things for others when they themselves have done things for us in the past. Well, you did that for me, I owe you. We, we find that quite easy. We can understand doing things for someone who will then have to repay us in the future. Uh, don't you remember? You owe me. These things are quite easy. They come quite naturally to us. We can understand doing things for those who we love. Those who are on our side, not against us. Those who maybe are our type. Well, they're they're worth doing things for. But of course the Bible points out that uh, these attitudes only highlight the limitations we have and show just how far we're not prepared to go. Jesus said, didn't he, if you love those who love you, what credit really is that? Even sinners love those who love them. Speaking in Romans 5, Paul makes this point, well, perhaps for a good man, someone might be prepared to die. But to to exhibit grace 
and to do so with great abundance towards someone who blatantly does not deserve it. For most of us in our earthly thinking, that's really stretching things too far. But that is the grace that's presented to us in the gospel. And I think one reason that we find it such a compelling thing is because God's grace goes completely against the grain of the sinful world in which we live. And that that this grace, God's grace, this is a part of the gospel message which really stands out and arrests us because it just isn't what we generally experience in the world. That God has always been a God of grace is plainly taught in the Bible. The grace of God is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 where we read that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that's a very informative thing. It tells us that Noah found grace, even though he's described as a just man, perfect in his generations, who walked with God. Nevertheless, even though that was true of him, there still wasn't anything so good in Noah that he deserved to escape the flood. He was a man in need of God's grace. Why did God save Noah and his family? Grace? The immeasurable and unfathomable grace of God saved Noah and his loved ones. And in the Old Testament, the next reference to grace is found in Exodus 33, where God is talking with Moses Grace is mentioned five times in five verses. Five out of 18 references in the whole of the Old Testament. And in in addition to that, the graciousness of God is mentioned twice. I want to use that passage to make some closing remarks about God's grace. Because it can certainly be said that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gospel of grace. A favour of mercy shown to sinful mankind. We don't deserve it. We could never earn it. But God has done it. And I want to mention four things about grace. The first is this. God's grace provides a way. God's grace provides a way. In verse 12 of Exodus 33, this dialogue is taking place between God and Moses. And Moses says to the Lord, See, you've said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, And you have also found grace in my sight. Now there I pray. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, 
and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Moses has led Israel out of Egypt and yet his heart, quite understandably, is filled with all kinds of doubts and worries and fears. The people are difficult to manage. They probably caused him sleepless nights. How is he going to get this vast horde of people to where God needs them to be? And Moses recalls the promises that God has previously given and the request of Moses is that God would show his way. Moses feels very alone in the midst of that vast nation. He feels very helpless. On his own, he's clueless what to do. Maybe you can recognize how Moses felt. But if God will provide the way, Moses knows that will change everything. But notice the basis of the request that Moses makes. If I've found grace in your sight, show me the way. If I truly am the object of your grace, if this nation truly is the object of your grace, then surely you will provide the way. And of course, out of his grace, God will. And God does. If you know the story... That's what happens. It's a very difficult path that they go. But God's grace never fails them. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that we're all straying like sheep. And that every single one of us has turned to his own way. The thing that we all so desperately need is to see that truth that we've all gone our own way. And then to rediscover God's way. And because God is gracious, he has provided the way back to himself. God will show Moses the way because of his grace. And he's provided the way for you, lost sinner, because of his grace. Strivings and all anguished dreams in rags lie at my feet. And only grace provides the way for me to stand complete. And the Son whom God sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, said that to look upon him is to see the Father. And when he spoke to his disciples about the eternal home that he was going to go and prepare for them, Thomas asked him, Lord, how can we know where you're going? And how can we know the way to get there? Sounds a bit like Moses' dilemma in Exodus 33. But God in his grace has already provided the way. And for Thomas, who asked the question, the answer is right in front of him. 
Because the answer to Thomas's question is a person. Because Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. And I'm the life. And you come to the Father through me. And through me alone. Moses understood that because of God's grace, God would provide the way. The message of the gospel for lost sinners heading to a lost eternity is that because of God's grace, he's provided the way. And that way is a man, Christ Jesus, who is the Son of God. The way, the truth, the life. Because of God's grace, he provides a way. The second thing we learn is that God's God's grace brings God's presence and his rest. As we continue through that section in Exodus 33, here's how the conversation goes between Moses and God. This is the most remarkable portion of God's word, isn't it? Here's a man having a conversation with God. It's recorded for us. Remarkable. So God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses understands if you're not going to be with us, there's no point going anywhere. We're as well off here as we are anywhere else in the world if you're not with us. How then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we'll be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. God's grace brings God's presence, and it brings God's rest. And Moses understands, from verse 16, how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? Here is this vast nation. And as they make their way into Canaan, with all that entails, as we read through the rest of the books of Moses and into the book of Joshua, as we see that happening, we see there a people who clearly have the Lord God with them. The nations fear them. Because they can see that the God of Israel is far greater than all of their gods combined. Because they have God's presence with them. Moses understands how vital that is. And here's the thing. Out of God's grace, God makes himself present amongst his people. And because of his presence, his people are at rest. And it's all because of God's grace. At the beginning of this series, we saw the state of sinners before a holy God. We saw the vast chasm that our sins have opened up to separate us from God. How very far we have strayed 
from God. Can such people ever hope to know again what it is to be in God's presence and not to be under his wrath and judgment? Can people like that ever hope to know what it is to be in the presence of God? Well, Moses knows and feels the sheer destitution of just the threat of not being in God's presence. And Moses makes this clear link between the grace of God and the presence of God amongst his people. God's presence with his people is the evidence of God's grace. And nothing has changed. The evidence of God's grace to us comes through the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to me, everyone who is weighed down and burdened, and in my presence you will find rest. It's exactly the same language as we find in Exodus 33. We're surrounded by people trying to find rest for their souls. You know, the issues that are in the headlines at the moment, not Brexit, but all of these things about gay rights and transgenderism and all these things. Do you know what really lies at the bottom of all that? Do you? I'll tell you. They are broken people trying to find rest. That's who they are, and that's what's going on. They're broken people trying to find rest. Now, of course, they're not the only ones who are broken. We all are in our sins. We're all broken people trying to find rest for our souls. Whether it's acquiring vast wealth and riches, whether it's seeking to be famous and applauded by people, whether it's drowning your sorrows in alcohol, everyone is trying to find a place of rest. And the LGBT community, these current issues are their solution that they have come up with. Believing that if everyone else will just accept them, they'll be at rest. Except it isn't a solution. How can it be when those communities have some of the highest, if not the highest, rates of suicide of any group of people? If they truly found the solution, that rate will be going down. But it isn't. It's going up. But they're broken people trying to find rest for their soul. The fact is, none of us have the solution. And we'll never find it. We'll never invent it. But God, in his grace, you see, God, in his grace, has provided a way for you to enter into and to know his presence. And there, you will find rest for your soul through the Lord Jesus Christ because he is Emmanuel 
God with us. God in his grace brings the very presence of God and brings his rest. And there in Christ and in his gospel, you this evening, if you never have before, can find rest for your soul. Because the grace of the gospel says you can be reconciled to God. You can have all your sins forgiven. And you can live forever in the presence of the living God. And there and there alone is the place of rest for the soul. The third thing we see, God's grace comes to you personally. Personally. God deals with individuals. Verse 17 of Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken For you have found grace in my sight. You have found grace in my sight. I know you by name. God's grace comes to you personally. We read of this theme throughout the Bible. It's a wonderful thought. Isaiah 43 Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Oh, that's wonderful. That's God's grace. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I'm known by my own. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. God's grace comes to you personally. He knows you. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8. If anyone loves God. This one is known by God. And we have these things said of the Apostle Paul. Uh, God is speaking to Ananias who's going to go and visit Paul just after his conversion. Says this, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. He's a chosen vessel of mine. Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. It was personal. He came to me on that Damascus road. He didn't speak to anyone else. There were loads of people with me. It was me he spoke to. And Paul's testimony in in the opening chapter of Galatians, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. God's grace comes to you personally. He came to you because he knows you. 
And conversely, unbelievers are likewise also known to God. Everyone is known to God, but God's grace comes to you personally. But listen, John 6, 64, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Now we considered last week the fact that God makes alive dead sinners. That it can only be God himself who chooses who he makes alive. Because the doctrine of election is so clearly taught in the Bible, it doesn't surprise us to discover that God therefore also knows those who he will visit with his grace and in his grace and by his grace. God's grace comes to you personally. And it's as personal for all of you as it is so personal for the Apostle Paul and just like it was for Moses, just like it was for the nation of Israel. I know you. I've called you by name. You're mine. Now the events and circumstances of their call were all unique. The work that God had for them to do was unique. But that God likewise knew each of you personally. He called you personally as surely as he called them. God's grace doesn't come randomly and arbitrarily like the lead shot from a shotgun. If you know how shotguns work, a load of lead in tiny little pellets comes out the barrel and it just scatters. The hope is that some of the shot will hit something. Some of it at least might find its target. Is that how God looks at the world? Well, I've, I've sent my son with, you preach the gospel and, it, and it's just like this shotgun effect and hopefully some of it's going to hit someone. By the law of uh, probabilities, someone's going to get hit with the gospel. Is that how it works? Not at all. Using this imagery, God, as it were, has a single barrel with a single bullet and it's the gospel bullet and he puts you in the sights and he fires the gospel bullet at you and he hits you because he knows you and you're the one that were in the sights because you're the one he was aiming at and you're the one he intended to hit by his grace he came for you and he saved you because God's grace comes to you personally. It's as if God lined you up in the sights. And as he's pulling the trigger. He says under his breath. This one's mine. Because you are. And then finally. God's grace permits you access. God's grace permits you access. Moses makes a request to God. Please, he says, 
Show me your glory. Moses feels so much the weight of responsibility upon his shoulders as the leader of God's people. Lord, I just, I just need this assurance in my soul before we step out from here. Please, just, just show me your glory. Just let my heart rejoice. Let my heart be at peace to know that you are my God and that you're going to lead me. And God replies to him, I'll make my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. These things are in God. It's not for us to disagree or argue. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, says God to Moses. I will do this thing for you, Moses. Why? Because I choose to be gracious to you. Why, God? Because that's what I choose to do. And that's enough. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. There are some conditions. You cannot look upon the face of God the Father and live. That's why we're so glad that Jesus came. Because Jesus said, no, you can't look upon God the Father and live, but you can look upon me. And in me you see the Father and everything that it is to be godly. And so God makes this arrangement with Moses up in the, up in the rocks. You cannot look upon my face, but as I've passed by, you may look and you will see me as I go. Wow. God's grace permits you access. It's because of God's grace that Moses was permitted this great privilege even to look at the back of God as he's passed by. Why was Moses put in this most privileged position? Remember, Moses was a murderer. He killed a man back in Egypt. Moses had spent 40 years separated from the Lord's people as an outlaw and an outcast. Why on earth would God treat Moses like this? It's all according to God's own grace towards this man. And Moses found himself in a place where he was granted remarkable access to the living God simply because of God's grace. Out of the abundance of God's heart, he reached out to Moses in grace and revealed himself to him and granted him a most remarkable access. And of course, he'd been there previously at the burning bush by his grace. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, writes this in chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You've been granted the most wonderful access into the very presence of the living God by his grace. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he begins his letter with a most glorious summary of the gospel and a wonderful word of encouragement and exhortation to God's people in Ephesus. And within that introduction, we read these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were known to him. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, this wonderful access that we now have to him as our Father, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. God's grace through Christ permits you access. We are those wretched creatures that we saw in Romans chapter 2 as we began this series. Broken depraved, corrupted by sin, rebellious lawbreakers, swamped in immorality, ungodliness and unrighteousness of every shape and size. So were those to whom Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, but now blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Predestined to adoption as sons. Redeemed through Christ's blood for the forgiveness of their sins. To the praise and glory of his grace. And according to the riches of his grace. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavour, but by the blood of the Lamb. Into your presence, you call us. You call us to come. And into your presence, you draw us. And now, by your grace, we come. Will you not come to Christ this evening? God's grace provides the way. God's grace brings God's presence and his rest. God's grace comes to you personally. God's grace permits you access into his eternal kingdom. And he calls you to come. Come.